When the deacon preached a couple weeks ago, he inspired me as he was standing up here holding on to a rosary with his prayer book that all of us clergy use and religious every single day right in front of him. And it gave me an idea for something that would help with today. Normally I don't bring props, but I wanted to have this rosary with me. And there's a specific reason. Part of it is that with this gospel, there's so much going on. I've been praying with it all week in a particularly focused way that I think we could spend, you know, 10, 20 hours going over all of this, diving into it, but I know eventually you're going to want to go and go to lunch, so we won't do that. But to kind of stay focused, because I'll tell you, there's a temptation, you know, no pun intended with the gospel, but a temptation when guys are first ordained priests, it's like they want to get up and just like tell you everything in a homily that they learned in seminary. And this is one of those days that I'm kind of tempted in that regard because there's so much going on. But I'm going to use this rosary to kind of help me. Now this is a specific one. In fact, this rosary I'm holding right now is pretty much my most cherished possession. This one was made by my grandpa O'Brien, who passed away in 1992 when I was just 10 years old. And during his retirement years, he spent most of his days making rosaries. Now, this was in the late 80s uh, when the Iron Curtain was still up, and most of those rosaries he donated to be shipped in secretly into Russia for people to be able to pray the rosary, even though you know, the faith was being stamped out. And of course, we know communism in Russia eventually fell. The totalitarian regime went down. And my grandpa, with his rosaries, praying them as he made them, I think contributed to that. And the thing is, you know, as I hold this, like I said, he passed away when I was 10. I didn't tell him what design I wanted. He made rosaries for all of us 19 grandchildren with our birthstones as the beads. The only one who got a different one than his birthstone is my brother Rob because he was born in October and that one is pink. Rob didn't want pink, he wanted blue. So, but other than that, I mean, we all got this. Like I said, I didn't pick the design, I didn't ask for it, I didn't pay for it, and yet, this is probably my most cherished possession. Now, that's a nice thing, but how does that tie in with the temptations? I think ultimately it boils down to loving trust in God. And I think this particularly helps with that. Now, I want to spend a few minutes kind of reflecting on each of these temptations and how this helps us to fight against the wiles of the devil. And when you see the devil encountering Christ in the beginning of these temptations, He's so cunning, and just like he was with our first parents in the garden. He tries, in just the very way that he states things, to try to pull apart trust, to try to get in there and drive a wedge between man and God. And you look back to our first parents, and what does he say to, to Eve? Did God really say, you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? No, he didn't say that at all. But to put that doubt in there as though he's some sort of like an overreaching ogre that rules with an iron fist and won't be generous at all, I mean, it's implied in the very way that the question is asked. Look at what he says to Christ. He starts off with that tough word, if. If you are the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God, and yet that try for the breaking into the trust of knowing who He is, knowing that God will take care of Him. 
And notice Jesus is there in the first place, going out into the desert for 40 days. It, it helps us to think about the Israelites, 40 years in the desert, moving through the difficulties of life and needing to trust in God throughout it all. What does it say? He was hungry. Of course he was. He comes down in the midst of all of this with us. Doesn't you know, eschew the difficulties that we have to go through. He's experiencing hunger. And it's right then, in that sort of you know, laying down himself, allowing himself to be weak, that the devil moves in. But what's the problem with what the devil is offering? It seems to make reasonable sense, doesn't it? Turn these stones into bread. Why is that a problem? Why isn't it okay for Jesus to just kind of take matters into his own hands and turn that stone into bread? Why not just do that? Well, if you look at this from the whole big picture of everything that Jesus is going to do, we know that all that he does is in union with our Heavenly Father, done in the right way, in the right time, with the right perspective of heart, the right trust. Jesus doesn't just grab things. He's not doing things in just kind of a weird, magical, snap-of-the-finger sort of a way. No, it always involves trust. Think ahead to not that long uh, beyond this. In the Gospel of Mark, He's going to feed the multitudes. He's going to literally take a few things of bread and some fish and feed 5,000 people. What's the difference between that and turning some stone into bread? Well, the difference is the way in which it's done. The way that people approach and receive the gift. Not just reaching out and taking it for themselves. Think about those people. They've come out to the wilderness to be with Christ. To listen to Him for a few days. To ask for healing. To trust that He will meet their needs. And He does. It's in that thanksgiving. In that place of trusting Him. Not just saying... I'm going to take this and do it my own way. No. They come to Him. They ask. They have the proper disposition. And so what does Jesus do? He takes the little bit offered. He thanks God. He blesses it. He breaks it and distributes it. And all of those people find satisfaction. And notice too, it's not just the kind of satisfaction that happens and then goes away. Because that's the thing. When you look at this, Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone. And we know that in the depths of our heart. Otherwise, why in the world would you be at church on time change day, right? You had to get up a little bit earlier today. I mean, if all we were were mouths to feed, who cares about what we're doing right now? We have Amazon. You don't even have to leave the house now to get stuff, right? Food Lion is all over the city. You don't have to go very far to fill up your stomach. But we're so much more than mouths to feed. Notice the interaction between the people when Jesus feeds the multitude. They trust. There's a relationship. And the great thing is that even though we couldn't personally be there in the desert or out there in the wilderness with Jesus to receive that bread, He does this even one better. Think about the bread we're all about to receive. Himself in the Eucharist. Jesus takes it, blesses it, breaks it, thanks God, gives us His very self. Is it going to fill us up physically? Well, maybe not exactly. On Ash Wednesday, it probably felt even a little bit better than normal because we're fasting. But nevertheless, we know that that encounter with Christ, that reception of Him, is so much more than just filling our material needs. With that being beaten, Satan moves on. He pushes even harder. Why not? 
Just take over all the kingdoms of the world. Take on all this power. If you're supposed to be the Messiah, why don't you just take over everything? All you have to do is worship the devil, right? Well, no. The thing is, he doesn't come to take over all of these worldly kingdoms. Remember on Ash Wednesday, we were reminded, remember you are dust, and unto dust you shall return. Even more real than that for us is for all the kingdoms, the governments of the world. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we have immortal souls. We're looking forward towards salvation, towards heaven. All the governments of the world, they're going to pass away. Think about all the different kingdoms the devil would have shown Jesus 2,000 years ago. Where are they now? There is no more Roman Empire. It has crumbled and fallen apart. But what hasn't? The love of Christ. You shall worship the Lord your God alone and Him shall you serve. The same is true for us. There will be political regimes and parties and all of this that will rise and fall. And don't get me wrong. I know now is like the easiest time to insert a politician joke. I'm not going to do it. Because, you know, we're, we're all fallen people, right? I mean, we need to have governmental systems. We need the order and the structure. But it's not the end goal. There is no utopia in this world. It won't happen. It can't. It's comprised of fallen human beings like you and me. What we're striving for is eternal union and peace with our Heavenly Father. Our Lord Jesus Christ knows that and points us through the you know, temptations towards worldly power and points to the fact that ultimately we're called to worship our, the Lord our God and Him alone shall we serve. We can't make compromises. We can't you know, put down our morality, push God to the side just for the sake of a stronger government. No, it will fall apart. But our relationship, our union with Him is ultimately the only thing that matters. And finally, I mean, this last one almost seems to make no sense, right? The devil taking Jesus up on the parapet of the temple and even quoting Scripture, the very psalm that Johnny just sang for us all, right? Psalm 91. The devil says it. Throw yourself off the temple because remember, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you with their hands that will support you lest you dash your foot against a stone. What's wrong with that? We just sang it in a psalm ourselves. Why is the devil wrong? Once again, it's the completely wrong perspective for trust in God. Think about these relationships, right? If a mom or a dad says to their son or daughter, buddy, I love you, and the little guy looks back up at the mom and says, prove it. Okay, we know that you can't do that, right? It's not allowed. When it comes to trust and love, it's not a scientific thing to be put under a microscope that you can say, okay, because of X, Y, and Z right here, yes, it can be scientifically proven that boys should trust mom. No, that's not the way that relationships work. And the same is so much more true in our relationship with God. He's not something to be tested like any other scientific study. This is a relationship. And we're not in a position to say, prove it. No. That's not the way that this works. But, does this somehow say that Jesus doesn't trust in the Father? Absolutely not. Okay, He's not going for the big spectacle. He didn't become incarnate with wings to fly off the temple. What did He come as? He is the Son of God. And He shows that trust of His heavenly Father by setting out in His public ministry, beginning at the wedding feast of Cana. 
He shows His trust in God by going out to bring the good news, to heal, heal the sick, to drive out demons, even in the midst of crowds that wanted to stone Him or throw Him off the side of a cliff. He shows that trust in God by calling the apostles to Himself, even though they're going to betray Him the minute that all of a sudden there's some danger. He shows His trust in the Heavenly Father by laying down His life on the cross. And what happens when He does that? He rises from the dead. We're called to show trust in the same way. Not by some sort of weird, okay Lord, if you're really there, prove it by making it sunny right now. Okay, I wish, right? But, that's not the way that we do that. We show our trust in God by taking each next step. By living out our vocations and doing it in a faithful way. We've got a great example of that right now in the church. You, you may have noticed over by the Mary altar, we have three kneelers right now. They're kind of on a pilgrimage throughout the whole diocese. And there's one for each of the three men about to be ordained priests for our diocese in June. One for Britt and Michael and Alfonso. And I will tell you too, remember Britt, he was here my first year. It's been a long time ago. But think about that as far as trust. Those guys aren't throwing themselves off the top of the cathedral. What they're doing is they're preparing to lay down their lives and become priests at, frankly, a time in church history where it's not easy to become a priest. Unless you're the pastor of Sacred Heart, because you all are wonderful. But, you know, nevertheless, that is the trust that our Lord calls us to. That in the midst of your marriage, when things are difficult, to deny yourself and to love your spouse. To bring children into this world when things are difficult. To know that God will take care of you. To continue to be a Catholic when it's not popular to be a Catholic. To stand up and to love Him and to take each next step knowing the right way of understanding Psalm 91. He will command His angels concerning you to guard you each and every day. We don't have to ask for some spectacular proof because that's not the way that love works. We trust in Him in the same way that Jesus showed us how to trust by living out our lives in that day-to-day call of fidelity. Now, why did I bring up the rosary in the first place? Well, I think it sums up so well, at least for me personally, and I hope this helps you too, that this is, like I said, my most cherished possession. And yet, It's not one I ever asked for. It just came to me. In the same way that Jesus doesn't just reach out and take the stone and make it bread, He receives gifts from the Father. His hunger is obviously eventually sated. Well, you know, things come to us. If we trust in God and are open to Him, good things come and more than just material satisfaction. The rosary was made by a man who made countless rosaries to send to Russia to show that the power of prayer, the power of loving trust in God is stronger than any communist totalitarian regime. In the same way that Mary's trust at the Annunciation, when she found out she'd be the mother of God, even though she might not have known what every step would be, how everything would play out, but she trusted. And that loving trust is more powerful than all the governments of the world. It lasts forever. And The daily prayer that the rosary calls us to helps us to keep trusting each and every day. Not to do something stupid like throwing ourselves off a building, but to lovingly trust that as long as we keep following our Lord, we keep staying close to Him with all our hearts, He will not let us down. We're not called to put Him to the test, but rather to be like Christ. 
The same Christ who is tempted in the desert is the same One who gives us Himself body, blood, soul, and divinity in this Eucharist. During this season of Lent, let's pray for the grace to let go of the things that distract us from this reality. That we have a God in our midst who calls us to loving trust. And as long as we participate in that, as long as we trust in Him as the Son of God did, He will never let us down. Praise be Jesus Christ.